Hello and welcome to the Matanzerist Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros, here with Max Tanzer, and we'll be talking about all the latest news and trends going on in the game of Major League Baseball. First, we'll be talking about some news going on in the game, including the Charlie Morton signing in the Reds and Rockies trade. We'll be moving on to talk about some trade candidates, including Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, amongst others. And we'll be wrapping up with some Thanksgiving-themed things that Max and I are happy for today. So, we'll be starting off with some news. Recently, Charlie Morton signed a one-year, $15 million deal. Max, what were your reactions? I know we both predicted this, and it happened early on in this offseason. What were your thoughts about this deal? I mean, first, you gotta love it. We got it right, and hammered, or got the nail on the head right there. But, uh, kudos to the Braves for going out and, uh, you know, asserting what their needs were, and that was starting rotation depth. We talked about it tons of times in the last month or so, how that was something they lacked in 2020. But now you bring over Smiley and then Charlie Morton as well, who's a veteran. The symmetry of him coming up as a Brave and now potentially ending his career as a Brave is really cool to see. I know the numbers in the regular season weren't great last year, but it was a small sample size. He dominated in the postseason. A guy who can bring that veteran experience, but also be a good middle-of-the-rotation arm for them. And what now you could consider one of the better rotations in Major League Baseball, assuming Soroka has a healthy 2021. Freed, who was dominant last season. Ian Anderson, who, you know, was really, really impressive in his small sample size. And then you got a guy like Smiley, a guy like Morton, and then Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, you know, is probably little bullpen arms maybe. Maybe they go six-man rotation. We'll see. Uh, but a lot of depth now in that rotation, a lot of really good arms, and it's very promising for the Braves, who knew they needed to add this offseason with some of the teams that are coming up trailing right behind them. Yeah, absolutely. This was a deal we kind of predicted. It seemed like kind of a slam dunk. I know Morton was talking about how he wanted to stay close to Florida. And the Braves are a competitive team in need of rotation depth, as we said. And they got two guys now early on this offseason, Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley, who should provide some really good quality innings for them. Speaking about pitching depth, we'll move on to this Reds and Rockies trade. Jeff Hoffman for Robert Stevenson. Not one of those, you know, eye-catching deals. Both guys actually had an ERA over 9 in 2020. Hoffman struggled to a 9-2-8 ERA. He had a negative .9 war um, in limited time, 16 games. And Stevenson, who had a really good year in 2019, struggled this year to a negative .4 war in a 9-9 ERA in 10 games. But I think uh, I'll ask you in a moment kind of your thoughts on this deal. But for me... You know, this is kind of one of those change of scenery trades where I think Jeff Hoffman, who's had a really good spin rate on his fastball, you know, the Reds have done a good job kind of transforming Lucas Sims, another guy with a high spin rate on his fastball, um, into a great setup man for them. I think they're hoping they can do a similar thing with Hoffman, who's always kind of been one of those highly touted prospects, but has never really broken through. Um, He's obviously had some success in the minor leagues and maybe just getting him out of that high altitude in Colorado and putting him in a different team. I know, you know, uh, Cincinnati isn't the most uh, pitcher-friendly park, but I think it'll be a nice change of scenery for Hoffman. No, no, you're right. I 100% agree with you. And I mean, talking about Hoffman, you mentioned high spin fastball, also a high spin breaking ball. The 9.28 ERA was tough last year. He did have a FIP of 4.69, which obviously by itself is not great, but still, it's a big difference right there. you got to imagine some of that had to play a role in playing in Coors Field. I mean, 63 of the balls put in play against him uh, last season were in the air, so maybe going to somewhere that's a little bit more ground level like Citizens Bank Ballpark uh, 
could help him out a lot. Talking about Stevenson, you mentioned 2019. I mean, if you go on Baseball Savage, that thing's on fire. A ton of red. It was elite in basically every single category except a walk percentage. So, again, you're exactly right. I think it's an opportunity for both of these teams to give these two guys a chance to uh, work on different things, and especially with the Reds and Kyle Bodie and their analytics system is really, really advanced. I think it could really benefit Hoffman in that case. But Stevenson, too, has really good stuff. And I think it was just... Small sample size, 10 innings. I know he had some injuries, a back strain injury, I believe it was, too, this year. Uh, Again, just to kind of hit the reset button for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about that 2019 season for Stevenson. Uh, I just want to go back to the stats here just so our listeners understand. He was a pretty good pitcher as a setup man for Cincinnati. A 3.76 ERA, which isn't really, you know, one of those numbers that pops there. But in 57 games, uh, he pitched 64 inning, 64 and two-thirds innings with 81 strikeouts. So he did have some good swing and miss stuff there. And uh, if you're the Rockies, uh, again, and we talk about that high altitude, pitchers tend to struggle in Coors Field. They've had anything but consistency at the back end of the bullpen. I think they're hoping that Stevenson can maybe figure it out there. Uh, that kind of wraps it up for us for news. <laughs> the hot stove has been rather cold thus far early in the offseason. That's pretty but we'll, Yeah, we'll, we'll expect things to heat up maybe towards the winter meetings heading into, uh, I'll expect a lot of guys will wait it out just because teams financially aren't so certain about you know where they stand right now. But we might hope some things will heat up in the winter meetings and we'll see some trades. And speaking of trades, we're going to move over to some trade candidates and where we think they might go. I'm going to start off with Francisco Lindor. This is a really intriguing guy, almost certain to be traded. We've been saying this for a few years now. But Max, I'll ask you, where do you see Lindor ending up? Ending up? Where do you think is a good fit? Yeah, I mean, for starters, initially off the bat, you know, you got to think New York Mets. That's obviously the team that everyone has eyes on uh, this offseason. But I strayed away from it a bit because of my predictions of them signing Bauer and Real Muto as well, especially with the news now that Real Muto probably will not be going back to the Phillies. Uh, but even if they were to bring on Lindor, they would still only be slightly over the luxury tax. But I'm just going, going to assume that Cohen doesn't want to make a statement like that out of the gate. He might, but let's assume that he doesn't. A team I like is the Toronto Blue Jays. And again, off the bat, I was questioning this because, what, you have Bo Bichette at shortstop right now. But you could move him to third base, have Lindor at shortstop for a year, if not longer, if they decide to extend him. Then Biggio at second base, boost that offense a little bit. I think a good trade piece back would be Lourdes Gurriel Jr. because he's a young, controllable outfielder for the Indians. And as we've talked about, that's a position they've really struggled. Golden. Uh, again, I don't know if Lindor would, would want to extend in Toronto, and that might be something they're considering because for any team that acquires him, you've got to imagine you're to at least pursue an extension with him. But I think it'd be a really cool fit for a team that's on the rise. And again, a star-studded infield with Vladdy Jr. at first base, Biggio at second, Lindor at short, and potentially Bichette at third base. Yeah, that's an interesting prediction. And I just, for me, it's a tough one because I think the Blue Jays would be hard-pressed, and you spoke about it briefly, but Moving Bo Bichette out of shortstop after his breakout season last year, he just had such a nice season at the plate when he was healthy, obviously. He had a couple injuries that derailed his season a little bit, but he still performed fairly well. He hit over 300 and showed some power and pop at the plate. Uh, for me, you spoke on the Mets a little bit, and that's a team where I think it's just for a trade fit seems like such a good fit to me because they have some expendable young shortstops. Ahmed Rosario, I don't know if that would get it done, if he'd be the guy that the Indians would want, but he's never really settled in at short there, and I think maybe moving him to Cleveland would be a good fit in the trade. I also think 
if they were going to pull this off, Andres Jimenez would be the guy that the Indians would target because the Mets really like him. So he might be part of the reason why they wouldn't feel like they wouldn't feel hard pressed to trade for Lindor. But he showed some promise at the plate and he's a wizard in the field with his glove. He's performed really well defensively thus far in his young career. So you'd have to imagine at least one, if not potentially both of those guys would be involved in the return for a trade for Lindor. Okay. Staying at the shorts. All right, sorry. I was going to say, I mean, I agree with that, and that's something I looked at, and I think Rosario or Jimenez is, is going to get traded no matter what if they're acquiring Lindor, just because the Indians will need a shortstop back. Jimenez, a really good defender as well, put up some good at-bats this season for the Mets. Another guy I thought about, again, this is a situation for the Mets where it really, it's like a domino, uh, sort of. You know, you have to wait to see what pieces fall. For example, if they're pursuing George Springer, all of a sudden, Brandon Nimmo may be on the market, and that's another guy that may... Uh, may interest the Cleveland Indians and may make it easier to make that trade. But then again, are they willing to trade Nimmo even though they haven't guaranteed Springer or not yet? That's what's going to be so interesting about what Alderson, Cohen, and the rest of that staff do is there's so many moving pieces right now, and literally they are contenders for almost every big name on the free agent and trade market right now. It's just a matter of how they're going uh, to architect it and what moves they go with because you can go almost every single direction if they wanted to, or they could go almost every single direction if they wanted to. Yeah, and a lot of that is attributed to the amount of money that they have to spend. And you spoke about it. You mentioned it a little bit. I think they could potentially even sign two of the big free agents. I I know you you predicted Bauer and and, uh, Real Muto, and I predicted Real Muto and Springer. And they could also add Lindor on top of that and not be, they'd be pretty close to the luxury task. They'd be slightly over imagining that Bauer and Real Muto will be about 50 to $60 million or something in that range. And then Lindor is projected to get about 19 and a half million through his final year of arbitration. So they'd be close to that 210 margin. I don't know how much over they'd be. It'd probably be a few million dollars, but if Cohen's comfortable doing that in his first year, I mean, why not? The only question you do have is those three guys alone, probably not everything they're going to need this offseason. They probably want to bring in, you know, a reliever for depth or something like that. That may cost a million or one or two million dollars or something like that. And you just have to wonder if those are priorities, too, that will hold them back from literally dedicating 60 to 70 million dollars this offseason on three players. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to look moving forward with Lindor, too. He's going to be earning more than he's earning this season. So for them to re-sign him with the addition of those two big free agents would be a concerning thing if you're trading for Lindor. Another guy who's going to be a free agent next season, staying at the same position, is Trevor Story. He's a really interesting guy, and this is one of those things where if you're Colorado, you almost have to wonder, do we want to extend him? Because he is a star player, obviously. Uh, offensively, defensively, both sides of the ball. He's been excellent over the past few years, one of the more underlooked guys. And the reason why he's been underlooked for the most part is the fact that the Rockies have not really been that competitive with him at the, at the, at the shortstop position. It's just been a fact over the past few years. They made the postseason, but they never really got far. So when you're playing in Colorado, also the, the team obviously doesn't get a lot of airtime, so it's kind of tough. He's one of the lesser-known guys, but he's right there on par with Lindor. You could argue that maybe he's he's yeah. even a little bit better than Lindor. I honestly so could. I feel like maybe Lindor might be better defensively, but Trevor Story can hit, and I think that's been the consistent piece from ever since he's came up. I mean, setting the tone in his first major league series against the Diamondbacks, hitting what multiple home runs, um, but. It's just for me, it's a matter of the money. He's owed $18.5 million in 2021 and then will be a free agent afterwards. I think that the Rockies should trade him just because I don't know what their window is. And I think that actually plays a role into Arenado too, which we'll talk a little bit later. But 
two teams I had. I had the Reds, who I mentioned last week. I think I had Simeon going to the Reds because they need to fill that shortstop void. And then the Yankees as well. And again, that one's a little, I'm being a little cute on that one because there have been no rumors about it. But the Yankees were are in the Lindor rumors. They potentially will need a shortstop, assuming that DJ LeMahieu does not come back. Now, I think it should be their priority to bring DJ back. But if not, Story might be a good fit. I think he really would fit well in Yankee Stadium, has power to all fields, plays a good defensive shortstop as well. Kind of channels that Derek Jeter sort of stoism as well. Uh, I think it'd be a really good fit for him them and they could afford it too it's just a matter of what they could give up i know that i was looking at some prospects florial might be one of them uh will be clint frazier potentially could be the headliner although i think they probably would want to keep him especially with the success he had last year it's a wild card for me on that one but i think it would be an interesting fit with the yankees yeah i like that and a lot of it like you said depends on that dj lemayhew deal and i think I predicted him to the Cardinals, but if I had to, you know, bet on it, I would say he would probably be the best fit with the Yankees. I agreed with you on that Reds prediction, and while I also had Simeon going to the Reds in our, my free agent prediction, I feel like Story and the Reds are such a great fit. First of all, the Reds have such a deep farm system that they could offer really, you know, a couple of not even their top tier guys. They'll probably need one of their top five prospects or so. We won't get too deep into logistics of who they would need, but just know that the Reds do have a deep farm system. And that's a huge deal when you're looking at these trade potentials uh, is the depth of the minor league system. You do have occasionally these trades where you get some major league talent back. Like we saw the, the uh, Cardinals Diamondbacks trade for Goldschmidt. Uh, it, it just doesn't typically happen that often, so that's why looking at the farm system is an important thing. But yeah, the Reds have a huge hole at shortstop. They lacked punch offensively last season while their pitching staff was really good. But I will go on the realistic side here and say that, you know, the Reds' main... What are the other main needs that the Reds have right now is their starting rotation. They're potentially going to lose Bauer. They're potentially going to lose Descalfani. So I think they'll be focused there and potentially at one of the lower tier shortstops on the market, like maybe a Simeon. It's not that big of a step down. I know I'm saying lower tier, but Story's such a star that Simeon after his down season this year is a bit of a step down. And I think he'll be a little bit more affordable and allow them to get some of those starting pitching needs that they have and keep their prospects at the same time if that is something they want to prioritize. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, obviously the offensive numbers were very bad last year, and that was reflected in the postseason, did not score a single run. But if you look on paper, they're not a terrible team offensively. You still got guys like Suarez, who obviously had a really tough start to the year, Castellanos, Moustakis, the list goes on. Obviously inserting a Gregorius type or a Simeon type would be very good as well in the middle of that order. Story would obviously be, you know, up here at level 100. They'd be super excited to bring him. But it's just a matter of the money they have a lot of money dedicated right now to guys like Castellanos like Moustakis like Joey Votto which is unfortunately turning into be a tough contract so it's just a matter of fact if they want to put in 18 and a half million dollars into one guy when their payroll is already up around 150 million dollars and while they're a bigger market team I wouldn't consider them being someone who's going to flirt with a luxury tax but no it'll be interesting I like story though I just it's a matter of what they have to give up. I mean, even a guy like Tyler, T- or Tyler Stevenson, I like a lot. They have Barnhart behind the dish, who was really good defensively this year. They could go with him. I think Jose Garcia would definitely be traded no matter what, just because that's a shortstop prospect, and that's probably who would be starting right now if they didn't add a shortstop this season. But we'll see what happens. But I do think the Reds have an opportunity to pursue this NL Central with the Cubs trending downwards just a little bit. The Brewers are trending down. 
in my opinion right now, their only real competition is probably the St. Louis Cardinals. And I honestly think the Reds, if they make the right moves this offseason, could be favorites for the NL Central. So this is a great time for them to go for it now. And if that means Trevor's story and you could still afford to add some good pitchers, I think they would be I think it would be reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. And staying in Colorado here, another trade candidate on the left side of the infield is Nolan Arenado. And I'm going to stay inside the NL Central also and say that the Cardinals might be an interesting fit for Arenado. They, Arenado's signed that big, long contract with the Rockies for whatever reason. They never really seem to really be on the same page there. Arenado, for a while, has not been too happy with the Rockies front office. But he signed that long-term deal, got his money, and I think it would be a great fit for a team like St. Lewis, who, you know, as we know, a few years ago, I mentioned it briefly earlier, they traded Paul for Paul Goldschmidt from the Diamondbacks, gave up a couple of major league pieces and signed Goldschmidt long term. I think a big thing that seems to be important for the Cardinals is that if they're going to make these trades, they're going to ensure that they have the players locked up long term. And Arenado kind of already takes half that piece away for them. They already he already is locked up long term, so they are guaranteed to have him for the next seven or eight years or however long the contract is. But I think that makes him appealing for a lot of teams, and it's going to take a hefty package to, to get him. I don't know if the Cardinals have the farm system to acquire him. They do have a, some outfielders who are a little bit expendable at the major league level. They've had a few guys in flux for a while now. I don't know who it would require to get him. I don't know if he'll be traded at all. But Arenado and the Cardinals seem like a pretty good fit to me. And that's been something that's been talked about for the past few years as well. No doubt. I, I think I absolutely agree The Cardinals need a third baseman. The only thing that made me stray away from this a little bit was just I was reading on it a bit, and the Cardinals owner said he doesn't want to dedicate too much money or raise the payroll too much just because of COVID-19 concerns. They already have some difficult contracts on their belt, and Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler, just to name a couple. But I do think they need a third baseman. I just think Arenado, given the fact that it's, what, $30 million or $35 million in 2021, it might be something that they might not completely be comfortable with. But again, same point that I made with the Cincinnati Reds. The Cardinals could be an NL Central favorite if they can get that big bat, something they've lacked for the last two years. They even made the championship series in 19 without that big bat, per se. Um, You could argue Goldschmidt, you can argue Ozuna at the time, but they at least need one more because it just has not been producing, and Arenado might be the answer to that. But, in my opinion, we'll we'll talk about it later, but I think that, I I, I don't know if I think this is going to happen, but I wanted to talk about Arenado and the Los Angeles Dodgers rumors because I think this is really intriguing just based on the fact that do the Dodgers even need to acquire Nolan Arenado? Is this necessary? They can afford him. They're one of the few teams that probably can afford him. But what's so intriguing about this is the opt-out after 2021 because a lot of people who don't look at the opt-out are probably looking, oh, you'll have Arenado through, what, 2026? No, this is almost looking like a rental, assuming that Arenado will opt out. And to me, the fact that the Rockies are trying to shop him shows that they're assuming that Arenado will probably opt out. I think that helps the Dodgers in this case, one, because they could afford the money, two, because of the opt-out. Maybe the price won't be as expensive. But do they need to break the bank and spend that much money on it? Uh, They were $700,000 over the luxury tax last season. They're under it right now currently by about $20 million. If they sign Arenado, they'll be $10 million over with still more assets to fix or more holes to fix. So then it will probably go up by $10 million, $20 million, whatever it may be. I don't think it's necessary when you could bring a guy like Justin Turner back when he's been your heart and soul of your team ever since, what, 2014, 2015. doesn't make sense to me when they can get a cheaper option and still are favorites to win the World Series probably. Probably still the best team in Major League Baseball without Nolan Arenado. I just don't think it's necessary. What do you think about it? 
Yeah, I also think it's interesting. And you mentioned the opt-out, which I want to touch on for a second. Um, I'll go back to why I think it might be a good fit. But first, I want to talk about the opt-out because I think it's one of those things where I spoke briefly about, you know, how the Rockies and Arenado haven't gotten along so well, the front office anyways, and, and Arenado haven't gotten along because of, you know, the, their non-competitiveness over the past couple of years. And I think that would be the case where he would take that opt-out and potentially become a free agent because he wants to get out of there. But, I'll keep but it I with think, the Dodgers. yeah, I think if he went to the Dodgers or went to the Cardinals and he was with a competitive ball club, he wouldn't, you know, be as inclined to take that opt out. Uh, so I wouldn't be so concerned about that if I was trading for him. I, I agree. Thing- I think it helps it out because the Rockies know they have to trade him because he's going to opt out. And that's why I said it makes it easier for the Dodgers because they can use that as leverage in trade talks saying, I know yeah. you need to trade him. I don't need to give you this. You need to get rid of him like that type of argument. I get, I get what you're saying now with that. Uh, I, I think I'll speak on why I think it's a good fit. The Dodgers have a highly touted prospect who struggled a bit last year, Gavin Lux, second baseman. I think he would be almost, I don't know if he's guaranteed to be a part of this trade, but I think if I'm the Rockies, that's the guy I'm saying that I need to get back in that trade because the Dodgers, I think, might be a little bit more inclined to trade him. Before, he was one of those untouchable prospects like their Seegers, like their Bellingers, those guys that they held on to. And part of the reason why they're such a good club now and they're going to be such a good club for the next decade, probably. I think um, they might be a little more inclined to trade Lux because they have some guys at second base. I know they have um, Muncy can play second, Taylor can play second, and they've done so at a high level. So he's not a guy that they need right now, even though he's probably ready to play and be competitive at the major league level right now. Lux is a guy from the Rockies, has been just such a highly touted prospect. I think he was a top five prospect last year, and he's a guy that I need to get back in the trade if I'm the Rockies. No, I get that. I just... Personally, I feel like if they sign Turner, it's not too much of a difference, plus you keep Lux. Like, for example, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here. I'm putting myself on the spot here, too. Assuming Muncy's playing first base, right, and Seager's playing short, you have two gaps at second base and third base right now. So I'm assuming they put Lux at second base, or they could start Taylor there every day. But the question is, is would you rather have Taylor and Arenado or Lux and Turner. Now, obviously, Arenado is a superstar player, but the positive about keeping or bringing back Turner for a cheaper deal is you'll still be under the luxury tax and still have a team that, in my opinion, is great enough to win the World Series again. Oh, there's no doubt about that. This would be just, you know, a luxury thing, adding on to getting no Arenado. I, I, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a great point you make between the Lux and Turner versus Taylor and Arenado. I think right now. Taylor is a better player than Lux. I, I don't yeah. know if but potential, potential-wise, there's no doubt that Lux has the higher potential. But I think if the Dodgers are ready to compete and they're ready to go, which they are, I think getting Arenado makes you a better ball club. I think Arenado is a lot of be- is a much better third baseman than Turner. I yes. know you could make the argument that Turner, you know, is close and having Lux. Is, I, I just think the combo of Arenado and Taylor over the next three years gives you a better chance of winning the World Series than the combo of Turner and Lux. That's just my opinion. But um, we won't hang on this too long. I think we've had a good discussion already. We'll move over to another guy on the hot corner, Chris Bryant of the Cubs. The Cubs have a lot of tough decisions to make this season going into next season. Obviously, Theo Epstein wanted no part of that. He's out of there now. It's up to Jed Hoyer to figure this out. We got some interesting fits for Bryant. There's been a lot of different discussions. There's been talks with the Nationals. There's been talks with the Red Sox. Those are two of the big teams. I don't see the fit with the Red Sox. 
I think the Nationals have a little bit more of a compelling case. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I I, I wouldn't mind the Nationals, especially since they're looking for one more uh, big-time infielder. And the fact that, you know, if you're playing Chris Bryant in left field, he's fine there. I mean, his actual defensive metrics aren't bad, but he hasn't played there primarily in the Green Monster. He'll have to learn that. I don't know if it's necessary for the Red Sox. Um, so I'm going to say a little disclaimer before I say this. I know that Chris Bryant and the St. Louis Cardinals don't like each other, or at least that's what it looks like. And I know the Cubs probably don't want to trade Bryant to a rival, especially a rival with the, uh, like the St. Louis Cardinals to them. But I just think it's a perfect fit for Bryant. And I know it probably won't happen because of those two reasons, but he's a cheaper option than Arenado that I still think could, you could slot right in the middle of that lineup in front of or behind Paul Goldschmidt, whatever you want. That's a good defender, a good hitter as well. And it's more in their price range than an Arenado. I know everyone's dream at this point would, to get, would be getting Arenado as he's the best third baseman in the game right now. But I just think it's more realistic. They could still give up a guy like Libertor or Thompson or even Nolan Gorman, who's a third base prospect coming up for them. But I just think it's more realistic. But unfortunately, I do think that the politics of it, the baseball politics side of it, could potentially play a role into it. Max, this is absolutely preposterous. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> no, no, I got what you're saying. And I actually, I'm going to be honest. When I was looking at a fit for Bryant, the first team I wrote down was the Cardinals. And then I thought, wait, 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 this is ridiculous. I can't do this. Bryant's antics with the Cardinals. I don't know how serious they actually are. I think if you asked him if he was going to, they said, hey, uh, Chris, if you want to make $40 million over the next few years, you, if you go to play for St. Louis, he'd say, heck yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I'll sign right up. I'll put on the, the red and white and gold for, <laughs> for, for that much. But uh, I think, yeah, it's the deal with the Cubs. I don't think the Cubs fans would ever forgive them, especially Jed Hoyer in his first, his first stint as general manager, training him to the Cardinals. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. I know. And no, no, I know. I, I, know. I know. I just think it's a shame because – I think he fits the exact bit of what they're looking for right now, especially given the fact that they've made it public that they aren't trying to break the bank right now, which is a shame because I think they're one or two pieces away from becoming an elite team. But out of the two, Arenado and Bryant, if you throw those two pieces aside with the Chicago Cubs and the fact that Bryant went on Ryan Dempster's TV show, social media show, whatever it was, and said the Cardinals are boring or whatever it was, um, and I know he had some beef with Yachty too, I think, uh, if you throw those two aside, he's a much better fit. And it disappoints me because I, th- I think that could be the missing piece for the Cardinals right now. Yeah, and he kind of fits that bill, too, that Goldschmidt had. He, exactly. I just feel like he's a guy that the Cardinals would acquire to bolster the lineup and then try to sign him long term. But it just does not seem likely to happen. I, I think maybe if he spent the season with St. Louis, we'll cut out the whole Cubs trading him to the Cardinals thing. But let's say he hypothetically ends up with the Cardinals. I think maybe he spends a season there, realizes that St. Louis isn't so boring, and then maybe decides to sign that long term. That would be the Cardinals' hope. But I just think getting him there, it's hard, I difficult. think, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's why for me, Arenado seemed like the better fit. Yeah, not maybe not the better fit, so to speak, the but more the realistic. more likely. Yeah. yeah, exactly, the more realistic fit. So that's why I had Arenado over Bryant, even though Bryant logistically might be the better fit. Hundred percent fair. I agree. I agree. All right, moving over to the pitching side now, we get two big names, Blake Snell and Lance Lynn. We'll start out with Snell. He's a guy who has three-ish years left on his contract, if I'm not mistaken, and he's kind of reminiscent of that Chris Sale trade that the Red Sox made. An elite lefty, had a Cy Young. Well, Sale didn't have the Cy Young, but he's pitched elite at an elite level over the past few years. 
For me, I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox. They're a team that's ready to compete. They, you know, need a two guy up there with with Giolito. I know Keuchel's pitched at a very good level, also, but I, I just feel like the White Sox have some young talent that you know it's ready to compete, also. But I feel like getting Snell would just take them to the next level. I don't know how excellent of a fit it is. It's I think it would I take a ret, a sale esque package, and ironically, the pitcher would be coming to the White Sox instead of leaving. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's outlandish by any means. Uh, two of the teams that jumped out at me immediately were the Yankees and Blue Jays, but they're in our division, and the, Yank, the Rays, and excuse me, the Blue Jays and the Yankees are going to be competing for a division spot with the Rays. So that would be a little silly to trade Blake Snell to them. But other teams, I mean, I, I honestly like the Angels. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if they have the pieces to move him. But like guys like Jeremiah Jackson, Jemai Jones, both infielders, do they have a spot for them at this point? Maybe second base or shortstop, depending on if they don't get a Gregorius or something like that. Or even some of their outfielders, like Marsh or Adams, you know, or do they even dare trade Jared Walsh? Would Jared Walsh be worth Blake Snell? I think right now it would. Who knows? Obviously, Walsh was phenomenal back in uh, September of 2020, but I think that'd be a really good fit for them. It would be cheaper than Bauer, something that they could definitely afford because that Snell contract is actually pretty good given that he won a Cy Young uh, back in 2018. So other teams I thought about too, Mets, Phillies maybe, but I don't know if that's necessary because they have other needs to attend to but again the big aspect about this is that while the contract seems to be overwhelming for the Rays 11 million dollars 13 million dollars or so you know uh, going up and down every year I don't think that's expensive for a pitcher of his caliber now I do want to say Mariners fans want Blake Snell and I get why he's from Seattle he has a fun personality he likes to engage with fans and stuff whether you like his antics or not but I just don't think it's necessary especially since the Rays have so many pitching prospects, and that's what the Mariners have the most of, too. I would be okay maybe giving up one of the big three of Kirby, uh, Gilbert, and Hancock, or maybe a Brandon Williamson, but if you're giving up Kelnick or Rodriguez, which is who they would probably want, there is just no chance. It's not like the Mariners are one pitcher away from making the playoffs. They have all these guys in their system. Why are you going to throw them away for a pitcher who, again, is good but hasn't been premier since 2018 the only guy I'd really feel somewhat comfortable with trading Ryan would be a Taylor Trammell because we have so many outfield prospects but then again he's good too and they seem to be committed to him and he fits the bid very well just with his personality and his skills it doesn't make sense unless it's the right deal but if it's any any of the top five guys I I say no and I hope Jerry does not even flirt with it if that's what the Rays are looking for and that's exactly what it seems is the case yeah, I just outside of the prospects, I know you, you those guys are so dear to your heart because they're <laughs> going to be part. They're going to be part of that next step for your team. I just don't see this making sense. It just seems like the Mariners are likely probably three-ish years away from competing. Realistically, I know yeah. some some people in Seattle and some Mariners fans Look, are hoping they compete a little sooner. No, the Mar- If you want to, if you want my prediction for when the Mariners will actually like. I'll be confident the Mariners winning a division is probably 2024-2025. Now, obviously, Jerry has said that he expects to compete next year, but don't romanticize it. Don't think that competing means they're going to be the best team in the AL West while it is a weaker division. It probably means more of like a 75-ish win team that's going to be good and solid and a better and put together better numbers and win totals than they have in the last two years. I don't expect the Mariners to really be you know, pushing for that division for another two-ish, three-ish years. But you're right, Ryan. Why yeah. bring in Blake Snell when you don't need him and you have so many young guys coming up? It just it wouldn't make sense to me unless 
the Mariners could somehow fleece the Rays, which is honestly impossible. <laughs> so, so anyways, yeah, back to my point with that is Snell's, Snell, that's all right, Snell's contract runs up in three years. That's the end of his contract. And that's when we're predicting the Mariners will kind of be taking that next step. So how does that make sense? Maybe I maybe, imagine they would maybe think that yeah, they could extend him. But. That That's the only thought process there, but... But yeah, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The Angels thing, I want to touch on that because that's an interesting fit as well. But uh, that's more my Lance Lynn prediction. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. But I like that. Um, too. Yeah. So, anyways, back to you were saying about Marsh and Walsh, which I found was interesting. You actually were touting Walsh a little bit higher than Marsh because he's done with the major league label. One, so he's great. Yeah. Too, don't get me wrong. So, so my thing with I with, just think uh, Walsh fits the Rays perfectly. I really do. He seems like he has Rays written all over him. It's an interesting fit. I, I the only thing that would concern me if I'm in the Rays front office, which I, I'm not going to say compare myself to the Rays front office because those guys are really smart there. They know exactly what they're doing, and that showed this past season. But I got to be thinking like that. That Marsh is the better fit just because he's a highly touted guy. He's been there, whereas Walsh was kind of down lower on that top 30 prospects list. And you got to be wondering if you're the Rays, are we going to trade our ace for a guy whose performance might have just been a flash in the pan? Walsh obviously raked this year towards the end of the season, but I don't know if that's the guy I want highlighting my package in return oh, no, for my ace. Oh, no, I don't think ace. that'd be the highlight, but I think it could be a big piece. You know, for example, like in the Mariners trade uh, with the Padres here, you know, Taylor Trammell was probably the headliner, but Ty France is a very, very valuable piece as well, and I think Walsh could kind of play that role. I honestly think it could even take Marsh and Walsh and maybe another piece. I don't know if Jemai Jones would also be in that at the same time because that'd be a huge package but Snell has control on a decent contract contract value, so who knows? The Angels need it, and again, I think, like we talked about it, they need one more guy probably, and they have a solid rotation. I don't think they need to go up get Bauer, but Snell would be a good fit. Um, I, th- I think he'd be their opening day guy and could put up really good numbers. They're, the thing that's interesting that we could talk about is the amount of innings. You know, The Rays obviously don't pitch him deep in the ball games generally. I think he's only thrown about, what, 600 innings in his career or something like that. The positive is that the arm won't be taxed, so you can imagine that he'll be a little bit more durable going forward. The negative is, is if you're not an analytic team, and I don't really know what the Angels are, maybe they stray away from that because they don't want a guy who's only going to go four or five innings per game. But who knows? That's very hypothetical. Well, you're talking about durability. The next guy, Lance Lynn, has... That's been his spot on transition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's that's been his key over the past few years through over 80 innings more than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball this past year. And I'm going right into that Angels theme. I think Lynn, while it's in the division, the Rangers aren't planning on being really competitive this year, I wouldn't imagine. They're not. Despite, yeah. yeah, so I think Lynn would be a great fit trading to the Angels who need that ace-level pitcher. While he's only got one year left on the contract, part of the reason why the Rangers should be motivated to trade him, although we thought that the past trade deadline you would have thought they would have learned their lesson with Mike Miner, but they didn't move him. I think you got to move him this offseason. I don't know what you're waiting for for the Rangers. And if they wait till this season, I think they're foolish because if Lynn gets off to a slow start, you're getting even less for him than you would have gotten previously. So I think he's a guy who's got to be moved, and I think the Angels are a great fit because of some of those guys that we listed might be great fits with the Rangers. No doubt. And the Rangers at the end of the season this year announced they're going to break things down in a year in which they were favored to be benefited by the 16-team playoff expansion, a team that had a really promising top three of their rotation. Kluber obviously got hurt. Minor struggled. Lynn was great at top five. 
five Cy Young guy, right? But no, I agree. Would be a really good fit for the Angels. And again, as you mentioned, a guy who stays durable, something Angels pitchers have struggled with in the past. Uh, no, a great fit. I also said the same teams I said with Blake Snell because I think they're fairly similar in a way. Different types of pitchers, but still have the same sort of value to their team. A team like the Phillies, a team like the Mets, even the Yankees and Blue Jays, since that's the Rangers division. The Blue Jays, I think, do need one more guy, and Lance Lynn could be that guy if they want to pay the price for it. Again, I know we have. I had him with Lindor, too, and they probably can't get both. Uh, but no, you're right. I, I think Lance Lynn is a really underlooked piece and a super valuable piece because he gets it done day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. Any of these teams would be thankful to get Lance Lynn. And speaking of thankful, yeah, we're going with our Thanksgiving theme. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I know we're a little bit late on this because we're doing our show on the weekend, but I hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving break or you enjoyed it if you're listening to this midweek. But Max and I are going to talk about some things with our teams that we're thankful for. I'm going to start out Boston Red Sox. Red Sox fans, we have got to be thankful for our left side of the infield. Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers, two guys that have been getting it done over the past few years. Just elite level production at the plate, and we're going to have them around for a long time, hopefully. I know there was some talks about Bogarts being traded. It's not going to happen. I'm calling it right now. You can listen to me. You know I know what I'm talking about on this show. Xander Bogarts is not getting traded, so we're going to be happy and thankful that he's around for the next few years. Yeah, for me, so I think it's easy for me to say Jerry DePoto, and I love the man. He's been fantastic. I am totally 100% on board with what he strives to do. But under the radar guy, I'm going with Andy McKay, who's really the pioneer for player development in the Mariners organization. Him, Jerry is a team, Scott Service too, and the rest of the staff, Hollander, have done such a great job of building a culture in this minor league system. And not only that, what I appreciate too is they're so transparent with the fan base, share a lot of information, and they have direction and they're committed to it. Let's go back to like 2011. Um, Mariners call up Dustin Ackley a little bit too prematurely. Mike Zanino skips double A. Again, I think the tactic was to get these top prospects up, get them some experience. I understand that. There was some question like, let's get up, let's get Logan Gilbert up this year. Let's get Jared Kelnick up this year at the end of 2020. And I think a part of it was definitely control and maybe trying to manipulate that, which of course isn't my favorite thing, but you got to do what you got to do. But more importantly, they're committed. They don't want to make a mistake by calling a guy up too early like the Mariners did in the past. I appreciate this so much more. I respect it so much more. This team has... It has so much direction, and they're going in the right direction. I cannot wait to see what's to come. And Andy McKay is a guy who is falling under the radar and who has done a tremendous job. So that is who I am thankful for this Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that. It's a little bit of an underlooked thing, but it's an important key part for the Mariners, and it's going to make a big difference over the next decade. And I'm just going to add on one more thing that I'm thankful for, and I know, Max, you can agree with me on this. We're thankful for all our fans out here, everyone who listens to this show. It makes a big difference, and we're hoping we'll, we'll remember you guys when we make it big in the future. We're very thankful for you guys. No doubt about that. Well, as we're thankful for you guys, we also thank you for tuning in today to Matanzas, the baseball podcast. We covered a lot, some of the headlines with Charlie Morton signing with the Atlanta Braves, as well as the trade between the Cincinnati Reds and the Colorado Rockies. Also broke down some of the potential trade candidates this offseason. There's a plenty, Francisco Lindor, Nolan Arenado, so many to name. We'll see if any of those guys do get moved. As if as is Ryan mentioned earlier, let's get this hot stove hot as we head into the holiday season. For Ryan Madiris, I'm Max Tanzer. We thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll be here every Saturday on your podcast apps, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time.